Hello and welcome to the Respiratory Inspirations podcast. I'm Rai Dwake, chairman of the Respiratory Institute at the Cleveland Clinic. This podcast series of short, digestible episodes is intended for patients and families and covers topics related to respiratory health and disease. My colleagues and I will be interviewing experts about timely and timeless topics in the areas of pulmonary, critical illness, sleep, infectious disease, and related disciplines. We will share with you information that will help you take better care of yourself and your loved ones. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Respiratory Inspirations. I'm Ra'ed Dwake, the chairman of the Respiratory Institute, and uh, my guest today is Dr. Fred Shea, who is the director of the Allergy and Immunology Fellowship Program and the vice chair of Allergy and Immunology in the Respiratory Institute at the Cleveland Clinic. Welcome, Fred. Thank you for having me today. And our topic today is going to focus on the eosinophil. It's a special blood cell that we're going to talk about it. It's uh, mysterious for many doctors, let alone patients. So Dr. Shea here is going to break this down to us and what does it mean uh, when you have an abnormal eosinophil blood count. So let's start with that basic thing, you know, Fred, what sure. is an eosinophil to start with? So a eosinophil is a type of white blood cell. So uh, there are many types of white blood cells. There are, they have various names, lymphocyte, monocyte, macrophage, eosinophil. They all have specific roles in the immune system in terms of fighting infections and participating in normal physiology and host defense. And the eosinophil is one of those cells. It is usually present at low numbers in the peripheral blood. And interestingly, it's found in many organs of the body under normal uh, situation. So you normally find some low number of eosinophils all along the GI tract and in various other organs of the body, including some organs of the body that you wouldn't expect to f- see inflammatory cells like the uterus, for example, or in the breast tissue or in the thymus. However, they are felt to have some normal physiologic roles at those sites as well. And usually the way this comes to the attention of us as physicians and when you do a blood analysis or blood count, routine blood count, that you have high count of eosinophils. And I suspect some of our uh, patients and families will see it, you know, sometimes in communication from their doctors or they check their blood tests and they see this number like flagged as high. So what the, from a patient and a perspective, what should they think about when their eosinophilic count is high or is flagged as high on a blood test? No, it's an excellent question and we certainly always get a lot of queries about it. So the eosinophil count can be elevated found incidentally with and associated with no specific disease. It's commonly associated with certain kind of conditions. Most of those are allergy or allergic conditions, conditions like asthma, seasonal allergies or allergic rhinitis, eczema, atopic dermatitis, other types of skin conditions. The eosinophil is part of the normal human immune response. So you could see an elevated eosinophil count in if you have a certain kind of infection, not uh, conventional bacterial or viral infections, but more uncommon infections such as uh, parasitic or fungal type infections. And then rarely is it associated with the primary blood condition or blood disorder. Like I said, the eosinophil is a white blood cell. And and just like any other type of white blood cell, there can be abnormalities in the various types of white blood cells. 
Okay. And you and I talked before this podcast about there's something to like high eosinophil count, but there's something also a different disease state called hyperisonophilia. How is that different? So eosinophilia simply refers to the fact that the eosinophil count is higher than the upper limit of normal in your laboratory. And so anytime you see a flag, a patient that a patient might see a flag in the complete blood count with differential analysis. It just represents that the number is higher than the upper limit of normal. Hypereosinophilia refers to a eosinophil count that's greater than a certain number, and the number happens to be 1,500 when you do the uh, differential part of the complete blood count. Now, it's important to note that there can be significant diurnal or daily variation in the eosinophil count. If you check the blood, if you have your blood drawn early in the morning, the eosinophil count can be up to 40% lower than if you check your eosinophil count in the afternoon or evening. And that's attributed to the fact that your own adrenal gland is making steroids all the time. And the, uh, their steroid surge by the adrenal gland typically occurs earlier in the morning. And so it's felt that that is related to this sort of daily variation in the peripheral blood eosinophil count. So if you do see that the eosinophil count is greater than 1500, it's not necessarily to panic necessarily, but it is something that uh, your provider, your physician probably will be looking at to make sure that there is nothing else going on. So actually you mentioned the word panic. So how urgent is this? Like if I find my, if I sometimes, you know, these days with the electronic medical record, uh, patients get the results even before they've heard from their doctor, which is sometimes uh, there's no context for that. So how, how much should our patients panic if they see that number? Definitely they should contact their provider, but anything else uh, you can give them advice well, about? Well, I would say that it all depends upon why the blood count was checked in the first place. If you're coming in for your annual annual checkup with your physician and they said we're just going to do routine laboratory studies and they check the complete blood count but you're not having any active symptoms there may be nothing to worry about and that might be something that can be worked up you know expeditiously but over you know weeks and months and not necessarily uh, immediately however if you're seeing your provider because you have a problem like you're having a neurologic symptom or you've got a diffuse rash or something like that then the context of the blood count uh, makes a big difference or can make a big difference so the eosinophil you know, you could be totally symptomatic, you could have some chronic symptoms that are not accelerating, or you could have acute disease. And I think that the condition that the provider is trying to evaluate you for would make a big difference as to whether or not this is something that they need to send you to a specialist right away, or work up over time, or just kind of follow. Depending on how sick you are, basically, it sounds like if you are not very sick or no symptoms, I would just wait for the provider. If it's if it's you have having significant symptoms, just call right away and try to figure something out. You've said it better than I did. Yeah, that sounds good. So, uh, so what are the common causes? Let's say somebody is thinking about why should I? Why? What's the reason I'm having a high eosinophilic count? What are some of the things that can cause that? Well, so here in the developed world, if you're a patient here in the so-called developed world, then it would be allergic conditions would be the most common. So, seasonal allergies, allergic rhinitis. Uh, asthma, atopic skin diseases like eczema or atopic dermatitis. Uh, these would be the most common reasons why you might have an elevated eosinophil count and could indeed even have hyper eosinophilia if you had some of these conditions. 
But yeah, there would be a number of other things that your provider would think about. Is there a possibility that you have a rheumatologic or autoimmune disease? Is it possible based on your travel history or occupation or other exposure that you might have some kind of parasitic infection? Is it possible based on some of your other symptoms that you have some endocrine problem? And then there are rarer conditions that are associated with some kind of malignancy or cancer. And then there are, again, as we mentioned, some conditions where the eosinophil itself is abnormal because it is a, a type of white blood cell, so, it's a, so it is a hematologic type problem. But I would want to emphasize that sort of the cancer or malignancy-related uh, eosinophilia is very, very rare and would not be the first thing that you know you would think about in terms of evaluation of eosinophilia. And the same is true with the primary hematologic conditions involving quite elevated eosinophils or hypereosinophilia. So if you are a patient or a family member of a patient, what kind of symptoms should uh, alert you to there's something going on you know, beyond just uh, an elevated uh, eosinophilic count? That's not such an easy question to answer in terms of uh, what are the symptoms of eosinophilia. I mean, you might have no symptoms whatsoever, like we mentioned. You know, a patient could have constitutional symptoms, sort of fatigue and night sweats and weight loss and that kind of thing. Or you could have distinct organ-specific symptoms related to target organ involvement or even target organ injury, such as uh, neurologic symptoms, cardiovascular symptoms. It's difficult to sort of say, you know, what is the symptom of eosinophilia or hypereosinophilia, because it could be nothing. Yeah, and it could be a variety, depending on what organ is involved, as That's you right. mentioned, that, uh, that makes uh, a lot of sense. So what, um, let's say when the, uh, somebody gets that high count of eosinophil in the blood, what should they expect uh, the follow-up testing would look like? So I think that often we will repeat, uh, or the clinician would repeat the blood test to make sure that the eosinophil count remains elevated. And then at that point, they might uh, begin to ask you more questions, examine the uh, skin and other organs more closely to see if there's any evidence of some abnormality that might suggest eosinophil involvement in one of those organs or tissues. At that point, the clinician might, or your physician might order more blood testing. It could be for any number of things, including parasitic or other infections. They might order urine tests or even stool tests, depending upon your travel history or exposure or occupation. And then a lot of the workup would be uh, targeted on the symptoms that you're experiencing in terms of the specific target organ. So if you've got a new skin rash that you've never had before, then yes, probably you should have evaluation with dermatology, and they might do a biopsy to see what's going on there. If you're having cardiovascular symptoms, chest pain, shortness of breath, swelling in the lower extremities, indeed, you might see cardiology in workup, and they might get an echocardiogram, ultrasound study of the heart to see, look at the function of the heart, and they might do even more invasive procedures if they saw something abnormal. If you had uh, chest symptoms, you certainly might get pulmonary function tests, chest imaging, an x-ray or CAT scan or something like that. If you're having GI symptoms, especially if they're new, if you've got bleeding, something like that, then certainly the evaluation would be targeted there with the visit to your gastro GI, gastroenterology provider. Perhaps they would do some 
endoscopic evaluations with biopsies. If you're having a new foot drop or other neurologic symptoms, you might be going to see a neurologist and they might do a nerve biopsy or something like that. So a lot of the workup would be targeted at trying to see whether or not a particular organ or tissue has eosinophils in it. Are those eosinophils increased in number, looking abnormal? Is there evidence of injury or damage in those tissues? Yeah, it's amazing how many organs uh, the eosinophil can infiltrate and cause damage to. So, so now like we talk about treatment. I understand now, based on what you said about the workup, that one, you have to find out the underlying disease and treat that. But let's say in situations where there's not uh, in a clear underlying disease, how, what's your approach, uh, our approach in general, to treat patients with high eosinophils? Well, I think what patients should recognize is that, especially if you've never been treated with uh, corticosteroids in the past, that in almost all cases, or the vast majority of cases, the eosinophil count can be rapidly brought down to a normal range with uh, some dose of steroid therapy. Now, it's not complete. It's not sort of a magic bullet in the sense that certainly there are some individuals that require very high-dose steroids to reduce the eosinophil count into the normal range. But the corticosteroid-type medications, both oral, intravenous, and or otherwise systemic, can reduce the eosinophil count into the normal range. And then, especially if whatever symptom you're suffering from improves, then that is some suggestion that the eosinophil is playing a role in the pathogenesis and the development of that disease. The challenge sometimes is finding a dose of steroids that is not toxic to the patient long-term, yet continues to control the disease, and sometimes uh, that dose remains reasonably high, in which case then you have to utilize what's uh, termed a steroid-sparing agent, uh, some other medication that has a different side effect profile than the corticosteroids that can help control the eosinophil count. Um, I would say for the last 20 years or so, there have been a number of immunomodulatory type medications that have been effective, and of which there is a justification in the medical literature, but are not officially FDA approved for the treatment of hyper-eosinophilic syndrome. However, recently there have been a number of agents, some of them in the chemotherapy class, depending upon you know, the reason for the hyper-eosinophilia that have been utilized to treat hyper-eosinophilic syndrome. And then uh, more recently, a uh, what's called a biologic agent or a, uh, an, a medication that's given by injection on a regular basis that targets eosinophils has been approved by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration for the control of uh, hyper-eosinophilic syndrome where no other hematologic cause, primary hematologic cause is found. So uh, there has been work, advancements in the area to try to develop products that can help patients control the eosinophilia and reduce the amount of steroids they need to take. That's good. It's good to know there are some options. So with that in mind, again, I... uh Talking about the prognosis here, to give people a sense of what to expect, you know, and prognosis-wise, I mean, I, I get it now from what you said that it depends on the underlying disease, but in general, can you share some prognostic information with our uh, patients and families? Yeah, I mean, if you have eosinophils involving a specific organ, then likely the prognosis would be very different than if you have hyper-eosinophilic syndrome, which is a multi-system, multi-organ disease. But really with a prompt recognition, workup, and then institution of appropriate therapy, the mortality from hyper-eosinophilic syndrome has dramatically decreased uh, over the last uh, 10, 15 years. 
And so I think that as long as the, you know, if you're a patient that has these conditions and you've had the aggressive workup that demonstrates uh, where the eosinophils are, you know, which organs are being uh, attacked or involved with the eosinophils, then you can really reduce the, the mortality from this condition. Wonderful. Uh, anything else you'd like to add? I think we covered a lot of grounds in this podcast. Anything else that uh, you'd like to add uh, to our audience? Well, I would say that, you know, if you do have a complete blood count that shows elevated eosinophils, I would say, pursuant to your initial comments, don't panic. And a lot of it depends upon how long it's been there, how high is the count, and what symptoms do you have. And if this is something that was sort of identified incidentally, and you're not having any acute or active symptoms from this number, the eosinophil number in the peripheral blood, then, um, you know, there's, it's not that you don't have to worry about it, but it's not like this is something that needs to be corrected tomorrow with the medication like a steroid. And this is something that, uh, you know, the provider can follow over a number of weeks or months and work up appropriately and um, send you to a specialist if, if there is a requirement for further evaluation. Yeah, thank you. You really summarized uh, nice takeaway points for our audience. So, and like, uh, so if you have a high isophilic count, don't panic, but don't ignore it either. You know, it's something to pursue and you find a cause for it. So, and uh, you know, don't give up on it, especially if it's very high. You may want to see a specialist. And the number I've heard you mention is fifteen hundred. I know it's an arbitrary number, but it looks like it's been used in the literature. So, if your number is more than fifteen hundred, you want to be seen by somebody who really has seen these patients before. I think that'd be good advice for our patients. I agree. Yeah. Wonderful. So uh, thank you, Fred, uh, again, for bringing this very difficult topic for us about uh, the eosinophilia and high eosinophilic counts. And thank you to uh, the audience for joining us today. Again, I'm your host, Rai Dwake, chairman of the Respiratory Institute. And my guest today was Dr. Fred Shea, who is the director of the fellowship program of allergy immunology and the vice chair of the Department of Allergy Immunology in the Respiratory Institute at the Cleveland Clinic. And our topic today focused on uh, the eosinophil and the high eosinophilic count in the blood. Thank you and have a great day. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Respiratory Inspirations podcast. For more stories and information from the Cleveland Clinic Respiratory Institute, you can follow me on Twitter at tridwakemd. MD.